0: Welcome to Reimagine Hybrid Work, a Data for Betterment Foundation podcast. I'm your host, Maribel Lopez. I'm the founder of Lopez Research and the nonprofit, the Data for Betterment Foundation. The foundation's mission is to help individuals and companies prepare for the future of work by understanding how technology will change business and careers. If you like this episode, please visit reimaginehybridwork.com for links to follow the show on your favorite app and subscribe to our weekly newsletter for additional show content and articles. You can also find me on LinkedIn and Twitter at Maribel Liphas, and my blog on liphasresearch.com. I hope you'll enjoy the show. And welcome to the podcast. I'm really excited to be here today at Intel Vision. It is only my second event of the year, so it's good to be in person and feel like we're back. Uh, I'm joined here today with Sachin Kati. He is Intel's Chief Technology Officer for their Network and Edge Group, and. There's so much going on in hybrid work, and so much of that is technology-enabled. I thought maybe we could spend a few minutes just setting the stage and talking a little bit about what are the trends that you're seeing in the hybrid work landscapes. often. And welcome to the program.
1: Thank you. It's uh, great to be talking here today. Um, so hybrid work, I mean, that's the new reality that uh, all of us are living with. Uh, over the last two years, I think we did a Uh, switch where we suddenly realized that we could do remote work, and uh, now people are realizing that, yes, I can do work remotely, but it is also good occasionally or periodically to go back into the office and be able to collaborate because there's a lot of high-bandwidth conversations you just cannot have uh, on a screen. So I think we are increasingly seeing that most companies are adopting a flexible work model where people can come in when they choose to, but they're primarily working remotely, and when they come in, they have the ability to assemble into groups and actually get into discussions and collaboration sessions, right? And I think that's uh, leading to some interesting uh, scenarios, right? So because uh, many of these teams will still probably be hybrid. There'll be some people in a room, some people remotely. So they need technology to make it all feel like everyone's connected because a very natural phenomenon here is the people who are remote feel left out. And that used to be the driver for a lot of people trying to come to work every single day so we can't go back to that so how do we bring technology to make sure that everyone still feels connected Uh, how do we manage the space itself right so because uh, it's no longer important to have an assigned space for everyone so when they come in how can they find the space that they need so that they can be productive and then go back and it's very flexible for the next group that comes in So lots of interesting changes. Uh, I don't think I'd claim that any of us know the answer as to where this will all end up. But I think there's a lot of experiments going on right now. And uh, we'll all be a lot wiser, uh, hopefully, by the end of the year.
0: Yes, I absolutely agree with that. And I, I love your point that nobody quite knows what it is yet. And I actually think it's very different depending on what company you speak with. So we have a lot of different discussions with people that have been very much Uh, in-person cultures trying to figure out how they're going to support some people that are remote but expecting a majority of their employees to be in. And then I'd speak to other companies and they're like, oh, we're going to be pretty much remote all the time with just a few in-person meetings. So I guess the the outcome there is there is no one model, right? We have to be able to support multiple models. And I think that's one of the great things about technologies that allows us to do it. But we're talking a lot of people about redoing their Offices to think of them as being more collaborative, as you mentioned, so that you can have that high-fidelity discussions when you're in work. And I know we spoke a lot about, well, if if we step back, I know there were a lot of technology purchases around the pandemic. Not all of them were the right technology purchases because it was whatever we could get our hands on, frankly, at some point. As we go into 2023 and people are thinking about, you know, building out the infrastructure for that time frame and beyond, what are some of the things that they should be thinking about?
1: I think one of the things that's a reality, whether you are remote first or in-person first, is that you will need to have the ability for people to get access, uh, your employees to get access to uh, your enterprise's confidential data and applications, regardless of where they are, which network they're connecting on. Right. So I think the first implication of that is the traditional security model that enterprises applied, which was basically a moat around the physical <laughs> offices, doesn't really work anymore because there's no such thing as a one place where everyone assembles to get access to these places. So it's moving towards a zero trust architecture. You cannot assume that anyone's trusted just because they're in a particular location. You have to verify every single time someone connects uh, to your applications or your cloud, right? So that's one important shift. And this has important implications on the infrastructure choices you make, right? So, right from what kind of laptops you buy, because that needs to have maybe secure hardware underneath so that you can verify that that device is actually this enterprises and that employees, for example. Uh, you need the ability to have secure networking that connects that device uh, back to the enterprise's data center or to their cloud deployments or to each other, for that matter. And you need to have the ability to have basically uh, uh the ability to scan the traffic so you have sassy like uh, software uh, that needs to be deployed either on premises or at a data center like uh, like at equinix so i think fundamentally distributed access and networking is going to be a critical building block for all enterprises and uh, building out the infrastructure to enable zero trust distributed access and networking a super important decision so many of uh, the enterprises have made such choices over the last year but as you yourself said uh, that is probably reactive, whatever they could lay their hands on, right? And I think now is the time to actually figure out what is going to be the long-term architecture that an enterprise is going to choose that's going to take them over the next, uh, let's call it, three to five years. So those are kind of fundamental choices that they're making. The other one is that if you're going to get uh, do work from anywhere, uh, it probably makes sense to have the ability to get things like virtual desktops or applications uh Deployed remotely, but uh, you can access it on your device, whatever kind of device you want to use, whether it's a phone, a thin laptop, or a tablet, or a heavy duty uh, laptop that has a lot more computing power. So you'll see a lot more variance in the kind of compute an employee will carry around, and your infrastructure needs to be able to support that diversity of kind of compute. So don't make an assumption that every application that your employee needs to be productive can run locally on that laptop. You should be able to deliver it remotely. And so that kind of remote infrastructure uh, that allows people to be productive, again, another important infrastructure choice uh, that CIOs have to make.
0: I think this remote infrastructure discussion is something that is really perplexing to a lot of organizations. Like, how does that actually happen uh, in a meaningful way? And I know that you actually have been doing a lot of work in that space. But one of the things that I've been wondering is as we look at this, you, you know, you, you talk about zero trust, you talk about remote enablement. What are some of the biggest challenges that you see organizations face as they look to build out these types of infrastructure, and, and how do you think we'll overcome some of those challenges?
1: I think there is uh, this this whole technology around SASE, zero trust, remote uh, uh, applications It's still uh, in a in a, in a it's going to through a transition. It's not settled on a particular architecture. right? So, for example, in SASE alone, uh, there are some architectures that deliver it out of the cloud, some architectures that deliver it by deploying in uh, POPs around the world. right? So they have their own data centers where they deliver it, and some architectures where it's all distributed. Everyone has to install a box or a piece of software on their laptop. So I think these are all choices that enterprises have to make today, because those are the choices that they have. And I think we need to help them figure out what is the right choice uh, for them. Right, So eventually, I think many of these are going to converge towards keeping it very thin on the client side. Right? So you mm-hmm. want uh, very little requirement of the employee or the person working from home, and try and move as much of that infrastructure as possible outside of that to either a colo facility or a cloud-delivered model. And many of these applications for security and networking are actually going to be that, applications. Right? So instead of people building out their own servers and data centers, they will be delivered on an edge cloud as a piece of software. So you should be able to stitch together a secure enterprise network whenever and wherever you want it to be, um, based on the design you want it to be, rather than uh, have to pre-decide what that architecture should be. So I think that's where this world is moving towards, and that that eventually will give people a lot of more, lot more choice in uh, being able to flexibly choose the architecture they want, rather than uh, have to decide upfront what to do.
0: I actually think that flexibility that you speak of is something that's very different. Like if you go back several years ago, I don't think we had the opportunity to provide the same level of flexibility that we do today, and and I'm actually not sure that most of the companies I speak with are really fully briefed on the availability of that
1: flexibility yet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so no, I, mean, I think uh, enterprises still think, oh, if I'm doing enterprise networking and security, I have to buy a bunch of boxes mm-hmm. and have to deploy a bunch of boxes. That's kind of the mental model, right? And I think the shift that it's no, it's no longer a bunch of boxes because the software on, in these boxes is now uh, containerized, and it can actually be deployed anywhere mm-hmm. where there is a cloud footprint, and you can stitch together the service you want. I think that's a mindset shift uh, that's still happening.
0: Yeah, it's, I think the move to everything as a service and really thinking about products differently. Products have a... You know, you, to your point, used to be you bought a box and we upgraded them, you know, maybe once a year. Yeah. Now, now it's software that is delivered from the cloud that has that same kind of virtual box style feel in a way, mm-hmm. uh, but is much more dynamic in terms of how often it's updated, what kind of functionality you can purchase, and I think that's that's the type of flexibility and agility that we're going to need to support hybrid work going forward.
1: Absolutely, absolutely.
0: Now, you you are CTO. And, as a CTO, I'm sure you're looking at all the different technology trends and and trying to figure out you know what's interesting, both for Intel but for the market in general. So, what's exciting you about the space right now? You know, what's something that you're like, you know, I think this is really cool or this could really change the direction of technology.
1: I think this uh, in I, I, the f- most fundamental thing I'd say is that, And this, uh, I'll take kind of a step back, right? So every 10 or 15 years, uh, we go through a pretty fundamental shift in computing, right? So in the 80s, was mainframes, and then we went to personal computing, so a more distributed model. And then after the uh, mobile phone came, the smartphone came, and the cloud came along, we went back to a centralized model of computing, right? So most of our computing happens in a few big clouds around the world. I think the next decade that the biggest shift for us is that we are going to come back to a more distributed computing model. right? And that's primarily driven actually by a lot of shifts that accelerated over the last two years due to the pandemic. Right? So one, for example, uh, hybrid and distributed work meant that enterprise data and networking and security had to move out of the office premises and be distributed everywhere because people were going to work from anywhere. Similarly, because of uh, supply chain shortages and labor shortages that we are all experiencing right now, I think there's now a tremendous urge uh, on enterprises to figure out how to digitize their physical infrastructure and automate their physical infrastructure. And a lot of that digitization and automation software and AI has to run at the edge. It cannot really run in the cloud because often it's too, uh, too uh, unreliable. Like you cannot afford your retail stores to stop working because the network connectivity to the cloud dropped. Right. <laughs> so uh, it's too unreliable, or it might be too expensive. All the data you need to send back to the cloud, the cloud is quite expensive to put data and especially pull data out. So you want to run it uh, in a distributed fashion, right? And then of course all the governmental regulations around data and where data can be stored and processed. So all of these trends, I think, are pointing towards a world where compute shifts out of the cloud into a more distributed compute footprint, right? So you're gonna deploy and you're gonna have compute available at every point of the network. And that to us is the mega trend, right? And how do we build the hardware and software platforms to enable the world to make that shift? Because enterprises struggle with the distributed compute world. How do I figure out how much compute to place where? How do I actually stitch it all together? How do I actually manage such a highly distributed infrastructure? This is not something that's easy to do. And I think uh, we look at it as our job to figure out how to make uh, build those uh, pieces of software and hardware uh, that makes it possible for you to realize this uh, distributed compute world.
0: Yes, a lot of the organizations I'm speaking with are looking at what could be the opportunity of real-time analytics and decisioning at the edge. and. That's a big challenge in a lot of different ways. Yeah. There's there's a technical challenge, there's just even a, a business challenge was trying to figure out what you would do if you had all this connected data. You know, how do you get that connected data into an application and how do you get that into something usable for an actual employee at the edge? But I, I love the discussion and, and the data point of thinking about is we did spend the past decade thinking about is it a public cloud is it a private cloud is it a hybrid cloud it's multi-cloud and now after doing all that centralization we're back to it's edge computing and we're putting the <laughs> cloud at the edge and and we're do we're, we're back you know i, I remember the, the era before that was the mobile era and everything was about the edge with mobility right, right? so it went from mobility to cloud and now we're back to edge computing and, and to me yeah, I remember a lot of the IoT discussion, right? We had machine and machine, then it became IoT, and now I feel like it's edge computing, right? Yes. And that's its evolution. So uh, with a lot of power and opportunity in it, so that's that's great. So I look forward to seeing what you're going to build next to help us actually simplify this landscape.
1: Absolutely. That's, that's our responsibility. I think otherwise it's going to take a long time to happen. Uh, we need to make sure that the, these kinds of distributed computing and edge computing is easily consumable Uh, by all of these enterprises.
0: So if there's one thing that you had to leave the audience with from a piece of advice, what would you say that is?
1: I think the single important thing I'd say is that because of all the forces we just talked about, supply chain shortages, uh, labor shortages, data privacy, distributed work, hybrid work, all of these are societal shifts. These are not related to technology. These are things happening outside of technology, but they will force you to adopt in our opinion, an edge-native strategy, right? Mm, So you Edge-native, I like this term. And so instead of cloud-native, you need to start thinking about edge-native because much of the software that will help you deal with these shifts will need to live or prefer to live at the edge, right? So what does your edge-native strategy look like for dealing with all of these fundamental changes that are happening in the world around you? I think that's a central question uh, that we would encourage everyone to be thinking about carefully.
0: I love that. We were talking about this cloud-like operating model for a while, and I think the spin that you've just put on it is it is taking some of those principles that we looked at at cloud computing and providing them at the edge, yes. and hence edge-native instead of cloud-native. I love it. Sachin, thank you so much for your time and your insight, and it was great to sit down with you.
1: Thank you. It was a pleasure.
0: Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please visit reimaginehybridwork.com to subscribe to the show and the newsletter. Until next time, wishing you all of the best in everything in life and in technology.